0: Amen. Today we're going to follow on after he rose. He didn't just go to the Father, but we're going to look at some things he did. We're going to look today at this title this morning, Christ's final gift. He had a gift. He wanted to leave before he ascended. He wasn't going to leave us alone. And we're going to look at what he tells us in Acts chapter, the first chapter of Acts. We know Pentecost is coming, but this is where he's promised. This is where he's telling them of what he's getting ready to do and the purpose Of Him leaving, He's not going to leave us alone, but He's got a great plan for your life and my life. And this is what it takes to get there, amen? If You've got that, turn to Acts chapter 1, stand for the reading of the Word. And we're going to look at the first eight verses this morning. And this is Luke writing, and he says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day in which He was taken up, After that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Christ's final gift. Amen. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before You. We are longing for You. We want You to, Lord, pour out Your Spirit like never before. We want to receive, Almighty God, all that You have for us. God, You didn't just, Lord, die and wash us and cleanse us, Almighty God, and then go and be away from us, God. But You've left us, God, with strength. You've left us with power. You've left us with a comforter, Almighty God. And, Lord, let us not miss that. God, stir our hearts this morning, God, that you've got more for us. And that, God, that we, if we've never been filled, we would desire to be filled. God, if we've been filled, we would be refilled and rekindled this morning. God, that you would be able to do what you want to do in our midst. God, you speak, you lead, you're the one, Lord. Have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, final gift. Now, this book is written by the authored by, the, uh, by Luke. Now, how many of you, maybe like me in my younger times, if you were to ask me who Luke was, you would have said, well, that was one of the 12 disciples. You would just think, well, he's part of the Gospels, and you might have made that mistake. And i I, I got to admit, at one time in my life, I, I, I thought that. But now, he was definitely one of those who followed Christ. And he was, uh, uh, he was a... Uh, worked with Paul in, in his missionary works, and he was a, a, a mighty disciple of Christ. Now, he's writing this letter, and, and this is not his first letter, this is second. Of course, the first one is the epistle by after his own name. And he's wrote this, and, and something you, that's a little different about this book is he wrote it, and you'll see in both books that he writes it and he addresses it to Theophilus. Who in the world is Theophilus? In the scripture, only, only Luke talks about it. We don't have a lot of information. Here's what we can find out about this Theophilus. Because it says there in verse one, 1, the former treatise, which means letter, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so, who is this Theophilus? And there's, there, by the way, his name, just the name Theophilus, means God-lover, Or God beloved. So this man, no doubt, was a follower of Christ. If you look at the in his Luke writings, when he wrote and talked to him, he says that he talks to him and he calls him, uh, uh, he gives him respect. It says in Luke 1 3 and 4, it says, It seemeth good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you these things in order, most excellent. Theophilus, that's a term of respect. He was probably a, a very important high, uh, maybe even a government official. And it says in verse 4 that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Here's what we know. Luke was a physician. And if you know anything about a physician, they're, they're trained to look for the little details and make keen observations. They're made to look at symptoms and things in someone and pick up on the slightest little difference. The uh, one pupil bigger than the others, the skin color, something. They're looking at little bitty details, and then they're able to make observations because, well, at least that's what they're supposed to do. Sometimes we can rush through so many times they just they're just a number, it seems like. But in, in this, we know that he was a physician. Now, one of the things that today, if you're a physician, we all think if you're a physician, you're rich. You've got plenty of money and everything. Boy, if I was just a doctor, I'd have that nice car and house I'd like to have. But in this culture, it was a noble profession, but it was definitely not a lucrative uh, 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 profession. In fact, it's speculated that he very likely was in employment of Theophilus. See, Theophilus was a man that had given his heart to the Lord. In fact, it might have been Luke that was instrumental in leading him, see people that were rich in those days, they could actually have a physician in their employment they're going to take care of our family, they're going to take care of all the, uh, all of our servants you've got your own physician and they were under their employment, almost enslaved they were they were in a contract with him, and so there was something happened in this, theophilus life and that he no doubt got saved, very likely because of Luke, and because he was hungry to know more about the things of Christ, that he had given his heart to, he commissioned very likely, that Luke go out and get these answers and give him more information about Jesus Christ and what he had done. And so that book of Luke was written and talks about Jesus from his birth, through his death, and through his resurrection. This book here in the book of Acts that he's starting here is talking about not just Jesus. It starts where he ended and talks about Jesus raising and right before his ascension. But it's talking about the Holy Spirit and its impact on the church all the way through them actually pretty much taking Rome for Christ throughout their whole ministry of the beginning of the church. And so Luke is capturing the details and the testimony of everything that happened. He's captured and putting it in order. And he's making sure that Theophilus, and not only Theophilus, it passed to the other churches and to you and me today to know the truth of what was going on with not only Jesus, but now the Holy Spirit and the church. And so it impacts us. So we know that it's not only just for these people, But it's for you today. It impacts you today. Christ is warning us and he's getting ready to ascend. But before he ascends, he's giving his last minute instructions. He spent three years with these men. Three years. Pouring himself into them. Instructing them. Teaching them. Training them. They were apprentices under him. He showed them how to minister to people's needs. He showed them how to pray. He showed them how to, to uh, raise the dead and to, and to get a hold of God and how, how important it is to make your life a priority. Seek God and then let Him work through. He'd been working, right, but He's getting ready to leave. But He's not going to leave them without help and strength. In fact, you may say, well, it's wonders that what God did. And because of what He did last week and He rose, we can be saved. We can be cleansed. We can be washed. And what an experience that is. But he's getting ready to tell us today in these verses that there is even an experience that's almost as good, if not better, than what he's done. So if you just got saved, that's wondrous. You're clean. But God's got another level. God's got something else he wants to do in your life. And don't miss it. And he's trying to make sure these men don't miss it because they're a bunch of hard headed men. And they kept missing it. They kept missing everything it seemed like he told them. Thank God they finally get this. And so today we're going to see that as, as Christ... Uh, uh, gets ready to leave he lets them know that he's giving them a gift and and, and he's been telling them about it they've just been missing it and so he today it's a gift to you first we see that when Christ left that he gave them number one Christ has given you and them a confirmation a confirmation of what that he's alive you see if he left He didn't live. And it was and if we can say that he was still in that grave, then we can sit there and say, well, there's no sense even doing anything else because unless he rose from the grave, everything else I'm gonna say today is in vain. But he didn't leave that way. He gave them and we can know and you know, we can see today we have to know that he raised. We have to know that he raised because the everything in faith is based upon trust, and if we don't trust, he come out of that grave. Then there is the devil's already won the victory. And so many people, the majority of people does not believe he rose. And that's a, what a travesty. It's unbelievable that that is happening today. But he gave, as it says in verse 3, he gave a confirmation to them and to us. It says in verse 3, to whom also he shewed, he showed himself alive after his passion. Talking about the cross, dying on the cross. By many infallible proofs, being seen of them, number one, for 40 days. You know, have you ever had for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God? Amen? So we see that. Have you ever had something happen and it was just traumatic? I mean, it was unbelievable. Maybe something that is just so incredible that you, you can put up the title slide, so incredible that you forget that uh, the next day you're thinking, did that really happen? I mean, did I really see what I thought I see? Did that really happen to me? Jetta? this morning, whatever that good news might have got up the next day and said, wait a minute, did that really happen to me? <laughs> you get saved. Did, did that really happen to me? Did the devil do that to you? You got up the next morning and the enemy says, you didn't get anything. That was just, that's just, and, you, and trying to steal away from what you had. Well, Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. Number one, he was with them for 40 days. Every day they got up and said, did that really happen? And then there he was again. Yeah, it happened, and he kept talking to them, and he kept working and teaching them. Forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the king, he kept teaching them. He kept telling them, this is what's getting ready to happen. Now, if you're talking to someone that just raised from the dead, and you know they died, and you know they raised again, boy, what they got to say has got your attention, you know? That's, boy, whatever this is, boy, whatever, even his brother His half-brothers and some of his family who hadn't even put confidence in him before. Buddy, you're talking about a difference. They became martyrs for Christ after they'd seen him come. They said, I know this guy. I've seen him my whole life. He's my brother. There ain't nothing to him until he died and rose again. All of a sudden, boy, it changed their lives too. So we see here that he gave a confirmation to show that he was alive. This word that's used here for infallible proofs in the Greek, it's a very strong term that means clear an evident proof without a shadow of a doubt is what it's saying that he was alive. How does it do? What does scripture do to give us infallible proof? For number one, it's, we see that there was women that seen him at the tomb after he arose. Matthew 28, and 9 says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, these women, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Not only did they see him, it wasn't a spirit. It says that they held his feet and worshipped him. They touched him. They seen him. They heard him. They knew he was alive. And they go back and they tell the brother. Who else got to see him and knows for a fact that he raised? The men on the road to Emmaus. What a wondrous story. These men, they're walking back. And they've been following Christ. And they've been listening to him. They believe in him. And we see that they're going back to this city called Emmaus. And they're talking on the way. And all of a sudden, as God does, Jesus comes out of nowhere. And God kind of disguised him. They didn't recognize who he was. And he gets right in the midst of them. And they're talking. He starts asking them questions. Who are you talking about? What what, what are you talking about? What's going on here? And they're like, basically they're saying, buddy, where are you from? Where are you? How did you miss? You must not be from these parts. Because if you were here, you would know what just happened this weekend. My goodness. My goodness. the, the, the son of God, we had full faith and tells about what all he did and he had been died and, and, and crucified. And, and, and the rumor is he's risen. And so they're talking about it. And so he starts opening the word of God. And boy, they're just he could, their hearts were just beating fast. Boy, this guy's, man, this guy must be a religious teacher, buddy. He is good. And they, finally he walks them home and they say, please come in and eat with us. Sit down with us and eat with us. And we need to talk to you some more. And he does. And as they break bread, as their custom was, they were going to pray and bless it. And they ask him, would you like to bless it? And, and I'm paraphrasing, and he prays. And it says, it tells us about that in Luke 24, 31 through 34. And as he was praying, it says in 31, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And boy, what happened, verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us when he talked With us on the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, and they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and said, and and, and there, uh, that and them that were with them, in verse thirty-four, saying, the Lord is indeed risen and hath appeared to Simon. They'd heard that he appeared to Simon. They say, hey, "Hey, I can tell you, he did talk to Simon because guess what? We just had bread with him. We just walked with him. he just come and fellowship for hours with us talking to him. boy, they were excited. You know what? You will never convince them to the day they died that they didn't the Lord hadn't raised. Right. These women at the cross, they wouldn't have. Listen, it keeps going. That's, that's not enough. That's, hey, he keeps on giving proof that he rose from the dead. The men on the road to Emmaus is, is number two. And then finally, do you know there' was over 500? one time that's seen it 500 you can fool a few people some of the time and all the people some of the time or what is it the saying you can fool some of the people all the time all the people some of the time but you can't fool all the people all the time you can't do it so we see here in first corinthians paul's going to tell us this list of people that he showed himself to in first corinthians 15 3 through 8 here's proof that christ rose verse 3 says but for i delivered unto you first of all that which i also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he arose again the third day according to scripture. He fulfilled prophecies. what he's saying here. And, and when he rose. here Verse 5 tells us who he's seen. And that, he, and that he was seen of Cephas. That's Peter. And then the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren. Not just women. Or just people. Five hundred men at least. Five, over five hundred men at once. Of whom the greater part remaineth unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. What's he saying right there? He's saying, if it were not true, and I'm going to come back to that. Let me, let me finish this out. At verse 7 says, after that, he was seen of James. Then again, all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen also of me also as of one born out of due time. I've seen him too, he's saying. He's saying he's seen the disciples, he's seen Peter, he's seen these women, he's seen above 500, he was seen by James, he was seen by the disciples, and guess what, I'm another testimony because i seen him on the road to Damascus. And he told me who he was. And my life's turned upside down. Let me tell you, when they wrote these things, by the way, you say, well, these things are old, Well, somebody, anybody can say whatever. But when these letters were written and were being passed throughout the churches... The majority, as Paul says, the majority of the people that seen him in that group of 500 still right there in their midst. They're in the church that they're reading. And as they're reading, say, I've I seen him. I know it's true. Amen. i seen it. I'm a testimony that he was there. I listened to him. I touched him. I ate with him. I seen him for days and I followed him. There was no doubt in their mind. And in fact, these disciples died. There's another proof. They died with that testimony on the lips. The ones that ran from him knew that he was risen. So he gave them infallible proof. He made sure that they knew he had truly risen. This was no ghost. This was no spirit. This was God himself. So we see, you know how else we can confirm that he rose? Because in your life, in my life, if he did in you what he did in me, I know he's in here. He rose. He's right here. Inside of me, that confirmation from those who have believed in him. So we see that Christ gave you a confirmation. What else did he give you in these verses? Christ gave you a command. He gave them, and in essence, he gives us, verse 4 says, and being assembled together, by the way, assembled together there, and that original language is actually talking about breaking bread. He's eating with them. They were in the same place. They were eating and breaking bread together. And here, what did he say to him while he was talking to him? He commanded, very strong word here. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. He's saying, Be without a shadow of doubt, he's saying, now listen to me. You haven't listened to me in the past. You know I'm, I'm who I said I was now. I've proven it to you. And now I'm telling you something else. Listen to me. You do what I say because this is so important. Oh, yeah. You go and you wait in Jerusalem. Don't, you get too, don't get ahead of yourself. I'm getting ready to leave you. But you go wait. You wait for what I've told you is coming. You wait in my Father's presence. And then you wait for the Spirit of God. Until God moves and fills you with the Spirit of promise that I've told you, don't do anything. So the first thing he commanded us to do is wait in his presence. He told him, don't you get ahead. Have you ever get ahead of God? You ever done that? Sometimes I'd like to see some people just get ahead of God. Sometimes I don't know if we're listening to God. we got to be listening to God to get ahead of. But there's times I remember when I first got saved, I remembered I I thought I should be doing something. and So I get excited and I'm saved and I feel like, man, I need to do something. for. And I was just taking on things and just kind of running myself, you know. And it was kind of great but miserable at the same time. Why? I wasn't listening for God to tell me what to do. I just do what I thought I was supposed to do. But God wants us to wait in His presence. Until he does something in our heart and life, and he wants to overflow us, and then he'll lead your steps. Even before I came here, God was stirring me for nine months before I st- showed up in this building. Nine months. I had no clue what he was getting ready to do. All I knew is he's getting ready to do something, and I kept saying, God, you're going to have to show me because I feel it, but I don't see it. And I kept saying, I just kept telling my prayer. Just, just, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just trust him. And sometimes you just think, well, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And I wanted to, but wait. And so God wants us to wait in his presence. That's why this altar is so important. Let me tell you something. You you can come to church all day long. You can hear the best of preachers that could come in here and could give you words that would cause your heart to burn. You You could read your Bible and be stirred up. But if you don't do something about it, if you don't let God touch you, and you're wasting your time. We can get all stirred up about something and never change a thing, but it's when we get in the altar, in the presence of God, that's when God can do. That's why I'm so uh, hungry to see God moving our altars. That's what it's. You can be. Listen, when you get stirred and God's drawing you toward Him to even get saved, you can feel conviction all day long. But until you come and do something about it then you'll never experience what God has. You can be stirred even this morning that God, I want to do more for you, Lord. I want the Holy Spirit. But if you don't do anything about it, you're wasting your time. And so what is he saying? Come wait in my presence. Why did they wait 10 days? Why did, we're we're going to look at that in a few weeks from now. Why did they have to wait 10 days? Sometimes. We have to get past ourselves. We, we come in and we want God. We want the microwave generation. We want God to do it in 45 seconds. Lord, I'm getting down. I want you to change my life, turn it around, fix all these problems, and let me be done in at Wendy's in 45 minutes. You know, that's the way we want to be. We want to come and do it our way, you know. But God says, no, 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 that's not the way I work. You make me a priority. You wait in my presence. You call out on me. You look for me. And then all of a sudden, he'll come through at the perfect time. So he wants them to wait in his presence also. He commanded to wait for the promise, he'd been telling them about this promise, but just like his death, they weren't listening. What did he say about this? Some of the things he said before he was taken to the cross, he promised to give them power. He yet promised to give you power. Luke 24:49 says, "Jesus speaking, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear you in Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high." And dude means to be clothed, to to put on God's presence, His Spirit that will cover you from top to bottom. Amen. So He promised to give power. He also promised to give the Holy Spirit would give wisdom. John 14, 26, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He's saying that He's going to give you wisdom. He's the one that's going to tell you what to do. He's the one that's going to give you direction in your life. He's the one that's going to correct you when you need correcting. He's the one that's going to draw you closer to me. He's the one that's going to give you cautions when you're getting ready to make a mistake. Thank God that the Holy Spirit that He is sending, this promise that He is sending, is here to help us and not to leave us alone. Amen? So we see He's told us and He's given you a confirmation. He's given you a command. The question is, Is are we going to follow it? Are we listening to it? Or did it go in and right out the other side? <laughs> you know what else Christ has done? He's given you a call. He's given you a call. Verse 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The, the baptism that John had, was a baptism of repentance. And the washing, and still reason we still, even today, we baptize, and we don't believe that the baptism... The process of going under the water and coming out is what cleanses us. We believe when we give our heart and life to the Lord at the altar, we're cleansed. But that baptism is an outward sign of what God did on the inside. That we were sinners and we needed to be cleansed. And we are thrust under His blood, under the water. And then as we rise again, it's like death to our old self. We come out washed clean in new life. That's what the baptism of John. He's saying, yes, God does it. And, and salvation is the most incredible thing that ever you'll ever experience. But next to that, he's not done yet. But he says that's not where it ends. You can get, it's wondrous to get saved. But I don't want to just leave you there. I don't want to leave you in that place. I want to do something that says, but that ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. He's saying that John's baptism is about cleansing a vessel. But what I'm going to give you through the Holy Spirit is about filling that vessel that's been cleansed with power and with fire. God wants to do something with it. God doesn't want us just to live where we are. I was thinking, even as I was praying on the way over with my eyes open, of course, driving over here this morning, I was thinking about this, like, God, why is it that we're not seeing more? Why is people not more hungry? Because I really feel and really believe that the majority of the church, I don't mean just this church, I mean the church in the United States, is content with the first experience. Just come and give your heart to the Lord, and that's wondrous. But they miss out on God's greatest for their life because they want to stop right there. I was thinking as I was praying that I was seeing a child that's born, and we love her children, and we love packing them around and petting on them, and they're safe when they can't get out of the bed and so forth. You know you, can, you know, you don't worry about them as much. We worry about them when they start running around. You got to worry about, oh, did I hear a noise? They could be out of their bed. You know, we worry about that. So, so we know that the next step is they learn to crawl, right? And so they learn to crawl. What if we were to be like that we are in this principle? We might say, well, oh, we just want our kids, we're just going to let our kids crawl. We don't want them, We do not want them to stand up and take off. we don't want them to walk. We're satisfied. They can make it from point A to point B by crawling. And so we want to leave them there. And it's safer that way and we don't have to worry about them as much that way, but we don't want them to do that. We're excited to see them crawl. We don't want them to stay there. Why? Because we know what comes next. If When they start learning to walk and they start learning to to build strength and all of a sudden we see that they're walking and then they're running and then they're climbing and then they're jumping and then they can do the things that we know that they can become. They could never do it if they could never get off those knees. But in our spiritual life, we're content just crawling around. And God has so much more He wants to do in our lives and in our church. And if we're satisfied, listen, if you're satisfied with that, I think you need to pray more. I think you need to say, God, you need to show me, is this for me? No, because the Lord didn't pour out the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and say, this is where it's supposed to stay. Now, there's a lot of people who believe that. There's a lot of people and there's denominations that believe that. But if you are spirit-filled, you know what I'm talking about. It's for today. It's for your life today. And so he's giving you a call. He's saying to you that I want to fill you. But if they would have, how tragic it would have been if they didn't listen. Like they had done so many times before, and they went somewhere else besides Jerusalem. We wouldn't see the church the way it was. We wouldn't see the book of Acts as powerful it was. We wouldn't see lives changed or transformed. But thank God. That he did this work. You know, this word baptized here in this verse, is means combining two into one. I was thinking about how that term is almost like marriage. Isn't it different? Some of you all uh, know how different your life becomes when you get married. Some of you say, yeah, I wish I could go back. But, but there is such a transformation that happens when we get married. Scripture says that two become one. Two become one. Does that mean we both go to the same job every day? Mm-mm. Does it mean that we both uh, like the same foods? Nope. But it means that our lives are now intertwined to where our hurts are shared. Our love is shared. Our uh, uh, goals in life. Our home. Our everything is now intertwined with someone else to where when they hurt, I hurt. When they are happy, I'm happy. And so we know that that's what marriage is. And with the Holy Spirit, it's when God intertwines Himself with human flesh. God comes and lives within us, and He becomes part of us. So that as we live with Him, His desires become ours. His pleasure becomes ours. His power becomes ours. And so that's what He wants to do in our life. But we only have it. He's given us a call. But the question is, this morning, are you listening? Are you listening to that call this morning? Hallelujah. The baptism is so important for the church to be powerful and to influence the world. But instead, we have to make sure the church is not being weak and being influenced by the world. It's what it's so important to do is that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we impact, but instead, many times we're the ones impacted. Number four, we see that the Lord has given you a confirmation. He's given you a command. He's given you a call. Christ is also giving you a challenge this morning. He's given you a challenge. They kind of fall back in their old habits here. This is typical of these disciples. They keep wanting to bring up this topic. Verse 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they ask of Him, Lord, saying, Lord, will Thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That's their number one goal. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father (coughs) hath put in his own power. These disciples, the reason they kept missing that he was going to raise is they had this ideal in their own mind, the way God's going to work. And they thought that God was coming so uh, uh, so that he could bring down his kingdom and that he was going to push out the Roman government And he was going to sit on the throne. And they were going to get some pretty high positions because why? There is 12 disciples. They're going to be governors. They're going to be people in authority. And that's what they're thinking about. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're going to have a great impact. I've got a task for you. I've got a mighty, powerful position for you, and it's even greater than what you think. But you need to learn to do as Christ did. Trust God. He's, he's He's got your life in His hands. He's got every detail in His hands. He's got every date on your calendar in His hands. He's got every plan in your life in His hands. Learn to trust Him. Get the things in our mind. You know what? So many times we miss out on what God has for us because we get in our mind the way God's going to work. We God, the way you're going to heal and, and take care of this situation is A, B, and C. And God's saying, no, 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 you miss it. I don't have to do it the way... I don't have to go through the things that you can see I can do it out of right field over here and then you'll know it was me I don't let you plan I don't let you create it if I if God let me create everything if God let me make the plans boy you all would be in trouble is all I can tell you but thank God when he does it he does it right so how do we do this we have to trust him we have to trust him we may think God's supposed to do it a certain way but God says no 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 you just trust me And you let me fill you with my presence and my power. And I'm going to work out every other detail in your life. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it perfect when I do it. But the question is, do you trust me? Will you let me have your life? Will you yield your life to me? And that's the only way that you will ever have full power. It's the only way you'll ever have peace. It's the only way you'll have joy. It's the only way that you're going to have contentment. It's the only way fulfillment. And it's the only way your life's going to overflow is when you learn to trust Him and let Him have control. He's saying you got to trust me, and then He gives. Number five, Christ has given you a commission. He's given you a commission. Verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part, of the earth. This word commission in scripture, this call that God has on your life, is it means an instruction, a duty, a purpose. God has given you a purpose. We look at this, what it says this purpose is going to be. It says that there's a purpose that he's going to give you power. There's a purpose that he wants you to proclaim. And so we see, but God, when we hear that, we may shrink back. If you're like me, in the in my fleshly nature, I hear that I'm supposed to be a witness. I'm here that I'm supposed to to, to do something for God. And you say inside of yourself that ain't me. I, I'm not. I'm the guy in the back seat. I'm the person that that's quiet. I'm the per No, that's not me. You know, I'm not quiet. But when it comes to doing things, uh, reaching out to other people, sometimes it's easier to be in the background. And in yourself, you are absolutely one hundred percent correct. You can't do it. It's not built into you. What happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit is we are filled, we are intertwined with the presence of God. And now we have a power that we never had before. We have a burning within us we've never had before. We have a desire we've never had before. And so the Lord, that's the reason He said you go wait. You wait till the Lord pours out the Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes because once I fill you, You'll be able to do what I've called you to do. You'll never do it in your own strength. If you're saying, I'm struggling, I want to do more and I can't, well, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we in that place where we say, God, you overpower me, and here I am, I'm going to give myself to you. I want all you've got for me. I'm willing to tear in your presence. And when he does, you'll have the power you need. I, 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 I'm telling you, it's we were talking this morning uh talking to dad about something about power, and it was something I was doing with some tools, and they and I'm running the power, uh, kind of choking the power down the way I'm running my wiring. And so the tool is never going to get the full power it needs to do the job it's capable of doing. You may have a tool, and you're trying to use it, and because you don't have power, you ever have batteries on some of your drills or something, and you're trying to do the job, and there's a lot of potential in that, but without that power, it can't do the job. And you're trying, and it's And it can't get the job done. But you take off a battery and you figure out what the problem is. The power is the problem. Put a brand new battery, fully charged. All of a sudden, through the job it goes. What's the difference? It's power. It's power. You can't do what he's called you to do without his power. And let me tell you something. Don't let your life be one that says this. I don't need it. It's not important. I'm fine just the way I am. No, let me tell you something. If I could take your life and I could show you what it's like to be filled with the Spirit and what God could do in your life and what God could do in your family and all those people that you care and how God can use you and line it up against your life, you would say, oh, Lord, sign me up. That's what I want right there. It would be a no-brainer. We see that Christ has purposed you with power. It says in verse 8, you shall receive power. This, this word that we get, dynamite. This word that we get talking about power. This, this unlimited power that, we, that is not from our own self. It's nothing we generate. It's a godly power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So you can't do what God wants you to do without the power. He's also Christ has purposed you to proclaim. You can't be the witness that God has for you. Your life cannot impact others like it will when He has filled you with the presence of God. You will find out that just you being somewhere makes a difference. Just you walking in a room will bring conviction. You don't see it. You don't feel it. But God's, when the Lord was filled in, in Christ, he'd been, he'd been already on the scene for three years. He'd been in services. He'd been listening to the teaching. But he goes out in that wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit and goes out there for 40 days. And when he walks back into the temple, filled up with the Spirit of God overflowing, what happens? Demons start crying out. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit of God is now overflowing and now evident. He wants to do that in your life. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. When this church is birthed and born, they are filled with the Spirit. This church is birthed speaking in tongues. And, And we see that they not only spilled out of the upper room, but we see that with, and so the Lord used the persecution that's going to come against the church to drive them out of Jerusalem. First he said, don't leave until you're a dude with power. Because he knows the next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be an attack on the church and and I'm going to use it. And so the church is dispersed across the, the whole Roman Empire, across the world. And as they go, they take the Spirit of God with them. And they impact everything they touch. And in two years, the whole world at that time is reached for Christ. The whole world is touched and impacted for Christ. What made the difference? Why did they have to wait? Why didn't he say, just as soon as I go up, take off, start doing it? He'd already told them what to do. Why? They needed to be filled with the Spirit of God. And in your life, you may have all the desires. You want to do right, but you struggle and you can't. You want to do right, but you don't have the ability. You shirk back from what God tells you to do. Why? Because we aren't filled the way we want to be and need to be with the Spirit of God. Today, it's still alive. It's still made available. And today, if you miss this, you are missing out on something as good as what he did for you at that salvation altar. It's just as good. It's an amazing thing that he wants to do. It's an amazing thing. This church will be unrecognizable if all of us get hungry and overflowing. There'll be, there'll be more amens. There'll be more amen. By the way, if you say amen a few more times, I might get done quicker. But there'll be more amens. There'll be more people get saved. There'll be more people asking you questions. There'll be more excitement because you can't contain it. Because we need that spirit of God. And I'm encouraging you, don't stay where we are don't stay i don't care where i I don't care you may say oh i've been thank god i've been filled with the holy spirit when was the last time that you felt god overflow you with the spirit oh i'm telling you it's been about 30 years ago and i'm telling you it was a great experience no that's not good enough no god wants you to do it today god wants you to overflow today god wants to use your life today and so it's something fresh if something fresh amen i could take a good clean bucket of water and let it sit there good to drink cool to drink If I leave that a couple of weeks and come back, would you drink in that? No, it's stale. It's not fresh anymore. We need something fresh every day from the Lord. He wants to do it. You know what happens when we let God's greatest desire and purpose be our greatest desire and purpose? When we get to that place, it's not the attitude of my for and no more. When we get to that place where we say, "God, I want you to, I want to get along with you. I want you to overflow me. I want you to have your way in me." And God, I want this gift that you promised before you left. It was not available just to them; it's available to you today. And He wants to take your vessel, and He's not only wanted to cleanse it. If you haven't been cleansed today, He starts the process with cleansing it. But then He wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost in passing, just quickly as I, in today it used to be. Oh, when I was little, they you get saved, and they keep you kind of in the altar. And I keep now pray through the Holy Spirit. We just, but now we've kind of got to where ah uh, uh, you're okay. And I'm not saying you can't. Let me tell you something. You it's just it's you are missing out. You're missing out. If if you were sitting there with something that if I had bought you something for Christmas and I knew it's what you needed more than anything, it was I'm excited about giving it to you. And I brought it to you and you wouldn't even open the box. <laughs> My heart would be broken. I'd be like, well, I paid a lot of money for that. And I know you're going to like it because I've been listening. I know what you want. And, and let me think about if you. Just imagine your husband or wife. If it was the thing that you knew they wanted the most, they wouldn't even take the time to open the box. Your heart would be broken because you've got something great, and I know they're going to be excited when they actually partake of it, but they won't even open the box. And that's kind of sometimes the way we are when it comes to the things of God. He has so much more, and we're satisfied. Okay, I'm okay with the way things are. I don't need it, but God says, oh, just open the box. Just open the box. I've got the best stuff for you, and it's wondrous what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. Sister Priscilla, if you'd come, if you'd bow your heads this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It might be hard. It's true, though. This this Word of God is true and it's powerful. Amen. It's what He wants to do. Just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, God, I thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit. And God, I thank You that You didn't leave us, God, alone. God, you didn't just give us good things to remember and we're on our own, but Lord, you sent your spirit so that not just standing beside us as you were with these disciples, but God, that you are now able to live fully within us, direct us and move and stir and draw and empower and lead. Lord, it's incredible what you want to do. And God, I thank you that you've not left us alone, but you're the one that speaks through the Holy Spirit to us. You're the one giving direction. God, I pray this morning that first of all, if there is those this morning that don't know you, that God, that they wouldn't just keep waiting, but today would be the the day of salvation. So they would get this wondrous change that you want to make in a heart to cleanse a vessel. And then, God, open them up that they would receive you. For those that today that have either never received your Holy Spirit, this separate work that you want to do in their life, or, God, maybe they've not experienced it in a long time, that, God, today they would reach out with faith and that you would be able to overflow. God, that you would just saturate this church with your Holy Spirit and power so that you can show all the things you want to do in our lives, God. Oh, Lord, it opens up... So much more that you can do in this community, in our lives, in our families. God, let us desire it. God, if we don't, Lord, search our hearts right now. And if we don't even desire it, God, start right there. Lord, that you would give us a desire, God, that we can't quench. That, God, you give us a hunger that we can't even put out. That, God, until we receive all that you have for us, that we would start seeking you even before service in through the week, God. You do it, Lord, because I know this is Your desire. And this hour that we live is God that we get closer to You and be and dwelled and overflowed with Your presence, Lord. Until Lord, You're coming, and God, I know You want to do it, and I want You to do it today, God, today. Saturate this altar with souls weeping and souls calling out on you, Lord, to get saved and to be filled. God, that's what the sign of a healthy church is when the altars, Lord, are tears and speaking in tongues. That's what you want to do, Lord. And God, that's it's it's what you, it just shows that you're moving and working.